Would you pray with me as we come to God's word? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to every heart, to every person, that you would challenge it, you would convict, that you would comfort, and Lord, that you would uh, draw us to Jesus and make us more like him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever done one of those personality or psychological tests, things like Myers-Briggs or I think Enneagrams are the latest thing where psychologists use all sorts of questions and uh, identify different behavior patterns and thought patterns to try to categorize you as a person into one particular type or group. One thing that they came up with in the 70s was this, that certain people are type A personalities and certain people are type B personalities. I wonder what you are. Let me tell you what a type A personality is. A type A personality is somebody who's always in a hurry. They're very sensitive to time. They're always rushing here and there. They never have enough time in the day. They're very task focused. It's all about just getting the job done. It's all about getting results. They don't really care about the process or the journey. They just want to get things done. They're very competitive. Type A people are very competitive. They don't like losing. And right now I can just imagine some of you in your living rooms are looking across and thinking that's what they're like. That's what my husband's like. That's what my dad's like. That's what my mom's like. They're a type A. They're always in a rush. They're perfectionists. They have high standards that they expect other people to keep up with. They're impatient They don't like people driving slowly in front of them. And when people do drive slowly, they tend to use language that's not even in the King James Version of the Bible. They're disciplined. Just sitting around and doing nothing drives them absolutely mad. And they have a lot of stress. That's type A. They're all about getting things done, reaching the destination and achieving results. What about type B? Maybe you're not type A. Maybe you're type B. You're more relaxed, more chilled out, less focused on the destination and more enjoying the journey. For you, winning isn't that important. It's taking part that counts. You have no sense of urgency. You just work steadily. Sometimes you leave things to the last minute, but you get them done on time. You're more creative. You enjoy thinking about things and reflecting on different ideas and concepts. And you have no problem relaxing, doing nothing. You sometimes leave things, like I said, at the last moment, but you get them done. The thing about type A's and type B's is this. I'm pretty much a type A person. Type B people drive us a little bit mad. My wife would be more type B. And I have to say this, type A's drive type B's mad too. For us, we look at type B's and we're thinking, you're so passive. Like, like, do I need to set a rocket under you? I just, I need to get things done, but you're not doing anything. I need you to, I need you to do things. I need you to, with time to meet, with a deadline to meet. And type Bs are like, just chill out. You're going to give yourself a heart attack. In fact, the people who came up with the type A, type B theory in the 70s were actually heart surgeons who noticed that the vast majority of the people that they were treating were 
type A people. So type A people and type B people can drive each other a little bit mad. But maybe we need both. And that's what we're going to think about today. As we think about God's kingdom, how God's kingdom grows, how God's kingdom expands, how we share the gospel, how we spread the good news of Jesus. We need both. We need type A people and we need type B people. But I have come up with a brand new type for today. A whole new type and I'm going to call it this. Type T-I. Type T-I. I think from the story, the parable we're going to be looking at today, that God wants all of us to be type T-I. T-I stands for two things that we're going to be looking at today. T-I stands for this, take initiative. Take initiative. And the second thing is this, trust intervention. Trust intervention. These will make a little bit more sense as we go along. But let's read this short parable from Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, 26 to 29. It says this, Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear. Then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. This is a strange little parable that's only found in Mark's gospel. And it's so easy to pass by. I've probably read it scores of times, but I've never stopped at it because it seems so simple. It seems so incidental. And yet Jesus never wasted words. Jesus never talked just for the sake of making noise and the Holy Spirit never inspired uh, Mark to include this for no reason. So there's some purpose in this parable. There's something that God wants to communicate with us about what his kingdom looks like, about what the Christian life looks like, about what the gospel being spread throughout the world looks like. And I think this is going to be helpful for some of us today. It's going to be practical and it's going to help us figure out why some things maybe aren't working in our lives the way we would like them to be. And by the end of it, I hope that we're all type TIs. We're going to be type TIs. Look at verse 26 as we begin. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was speaking to a community and a culture that was very much agricultural. They lived off the land. And so Jesus spoke using stories and illustrations. We call them parables. He used pictures, word pictures, that the ordinary people of the day would understand. He wasn't highfalutin. He wasn't hyper-intellectual. He wasn't so theological nobody could understand him. He talked in the ordinary language of the day. And he talked about things that farmers and agricultural people would understand. He talked about seeds and soil. He talked about sheep and goats. He talked about vineyards and and fruit. He talked about uh, uh, workers in the vineyard. He connected with the ordinary people of his day. Sometimes the church has lost that ability to do that. We are talking in language which is a century or two old or in, in concepts that people don't understand. But Jesus talks your language. Jesus communicates in ways you can understand. And he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the king 
kingdom, the king's reign of God is like. This is what it looks like when God's in charge. This is what it looks like when God has his way. This is what the Christian life looks like. And he says it's like a man who scatters seed on the ground. Now, earlier in Mark chapter 4, we have a more familiar parable about a man sowing seed. You know the parable about the farmer went out to sow, and some fell on the hard ground, and some fell on the rocky ground, and some fell on the thorny ground, and some fell on the good soil. That's earlier on in this same chapter. And Jesus at that time said, the word of God is the seed. The seed is the word of God. It's the message of the kingdom. It's the gospel of Jesus. That's what he made clear. And so today, as I I just have got two simple points. To be a TI Christian, to be a TI personality Christian, this parable seems to say that you've got to take initiative. Take initiative. In the parable, who sows the seed? God doesn't sow the seed. The seed doesn't sow itself. The seed doesn't fall down from the sky. No, it says a man went out to sow seed. It was a human. It was a person. It was a man's responsibility to sow the seed. It was the initiative of the farmer. I have some seeds in my pocket here. What are they? Yeah, these little seeds, I don't know if you can see them, Morning glory, they're called. That's what they produce. And uh, these seeds, if I keep them on the shelf at home or put them in the drawer, I have no right in six months to open that drawer and get mad at them because I don't have flowers there. You might say, well, you've got the seeds, yes, but I have to take initiative. The seeds in this packet do nothing. I have to plant them. To plant them, I have to dig up the soil. The soil has to be dug up. It has to be ploughed, maybe. It has to be rotivated. Whatever you have to do, there's a responsibility involved. There's an initiative that I have to take. Otherwise, I can have no expectation of growth. God isn't going to do it. The seed isn't going to do it. I need to sow the seed. I need to take the initiative. And then look at the the last verse, verse 29 in the story. As soon as the corn is ripe, he, that's the, the farmer, puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, who does the reaping? The farmer, the man, the human does the reaping. The seed doesn't harvest itself. God doesn't come along with some big supernatural sickle from heaven and reap the harvest for him. Gabriel doesn't come down with some heavenly combine harvester and harvest the the seed or the, the, the grain for him. The human, the man, the farmer has to take the initiative and do it himself. There's always a part Any cycle of growth where there's human initiative. There has to be a decision followed by action. Unless someone does something, nothing happens. What are you getting at, Craig? I'm glad you asked me. In 14 years of ministry and 30 years of being a Christian, here's what I have found. Many 
Christians are asking God to do something that he has given us responsibility to do. We expect something to grow without ever having to sow. We want the harvest, but we don't want to plant the seeds. We want the results, but we don't want to do the work of digging. We don't want to do the discipline. We don't want to do the effort. We just want things to be produced in our lives. And here's what we need to realize. God does miracles, but he doesn't do magic. Let me repeat that. God is a miracle worker, but he's not a magician. Here's what a magician does. A magician produces something from nothing. Pulls a rabbit out of a hat, opens his hand, there's a coin there, pulls flowers out of nowhere. That's what a magician does. A magician produces something out of nothing. Here's what a miracle is. From what I can see in scripture, it's God working alongside humans, partnering with humans to do something supernatural. But there is always a human initiative in Scripture. I I was thinking of almost, I was going through every miracle that I can think of in the Bible. And it all started with a man or a woman doing something. And then God taking what they had given, taking what they had sacrificed, taking what they had handed over and doing what only God can do with it. Think about it. Um. Moses' staff. Remember the staff that Moses had? He was a shepherd. God said, throw it on the ground. It was just an ordinary stick. But Moses laid it down. He surrendered it to God. When he picked it up, that same staff was able to open the Red Sea. That same staff was able to strike a rock and water would pour out. Elijah. There was a famine in the land. There was a drought in the land for three years. Elijah prayed seven times and then God sent the rain. The widow, the widow poured out the little oil she had. Remember her two sons were taken off as slaves? She poured out the little oil she had and God kept it pouring and did the miracle. Joshua ordered the priests to set their foot in the river Jordan and once they set their foot in, the water stopped flowing and they were able to cross the river. The little boy came to Jesus and he handed over his two fish and five loaves and then the disciples went and handed it out. They all had a part to play in the miracle. The centurion came to Jesus and said, will you heal my servant? The the blind man came to Jesus and said, will you open my eyes? There was always some human element in every miracle. There was some human initiative What I'm trying to say is that people always play a part in what God is doing here on earth. They did what they could do and God did what only he could do. When they moved, God moved. Sometimes I put it like this. Our God is a motion-sensitive God. Our God is a motion-sensitive God. What do I mean by that? A while ago last year, I was in an airport we were flying home from holidays and I went into the bathroom and after I went to the bathroom I washed my hands because that's what you do, especially these days. And I went to the, the sink and there was a tap there but there was no handle on it. But then I realized if I put my hand under the tap, the water came on. And when I removed my hand, the water went off. 
It was motion sensitive. It was fun. I kept doing it. It was like Tai Chi. And I put my hand under the soap and the soap came out. A little bit of soap. And I removed my hand. I didn't have to touch anything. Again, it was motion sensitive. And then I washed my hands and I went to dry them and I had two choices. There was a hand dryer on the wall and there was a paper towel dispenser. And again, there was a little sensor. I went for the paper towels. And as soon as I came across and put my hand underneath it, the towel came dropping out and I was able to dry my hands and all of it was motion sensitive the principle was this when I moved it moved when I did something it responded to what I did I initiated and it responded and in many ways when we when we read our bible we could say this that our God your God my God he's a motion sensitive God when we move he moves when we initiate he responds James 4 verse 8 says this, draw near to God and he will, what? Draw near to you. Who draws first? We do. We lean in towards God and he comes close to us. The prodigal son, remember the story Jesus told? He comes home. He makes his way home. And when the father sees him, he runs to the son. But the son made the first move. When we move God moves. And the implication of that or the reverse of that is this. If we don't move, God doesn't move. He's a motion-sensitive God. There are some things in your life that God will not do for you. God won't read your Bible for you. God won't pray for you. I mean, Jesus is interceding, I know that. But he won't have a prayer time for you. God won't share your faith for you. God won't tithe for you. God won't be generous for you. God won't develop the gift he has given you. God won't apply for that job for you. God won't ask that girl out for you. God won't turn off your computer or your phone at half eleven at night when you're looking at those things that you shouldn't be looking at. God won't eat healthier food for you. God won't stop you spending money you don't have and things you don't need to impress people you don't like. God won't do those things for you. He won't control you. You have a free will. He's given you choices. He wants you to take the initiative. He wants you to make decisions. He wants you to use your will. Our little boy, some of you know he's seven, Elijah. And for years, there's certain things that he'll be doing. And he'll say, Daddy, will you help me with this? Will you help me put my shoes on? Will you help me get dressed? Will you help me do this? And my answer has always been this. Elijah, if you can do it, I won't do it. If you can do it, I won't do it. But what I will do is I'll help you with the things you can't do. But I'm not going to do the things that you just can't be bothered doing or you're too lazy to do. If you can do it, I won't. And I think God very often would say the same thing to you. You're asking him to do things that he has actually called you to do. You're waiting on God and saying, God, I'm just waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. And God's saying, I'm waiting on you to get off your blessed assurance and do the thing I've called you to do because I'm not going to do it if you can do it. If you can't do it, you do it. But I will do the thing that you can't do. What do you want to see in your life? What dreams and desires do you have for your future? What longings and hopes do you have for your life? What are you praying for? What's the harvest you want to see in your life? Now ask yourself, what seeds are you sowing? 
to see that harvest? What actions are you taking to see that dream fulfilled? What disciplines have you put in place so that your life looks like that in a year or six months or whenever from now? What ground do you need to dig up? What's your part in this? Your prayer for God to do something, but what is your part? Where do you need to take initiative? Maybe it's not doing something. Maybe it's letting go because when you think of it, for a seed to be sown, what has the farmer got to do? He's got to scatter the seed. He's got to take what's in his hand and release it. And maybe for you, the growth, the change, the, the, the transformation you long to see in your life isn't from doing something. It's actually from letting go of something. It's letting go of a habit. It's, it's relinquishing a relationship. It's actually releasing something that you're holding on to, but which is keeping you back. And God is saying, if you release that, if you relinquish that, I can step in and I will do the miracle you're longing for. Where do you need to be obedient to what God is telling you? You know, everything starts with a seed. Everything starts with a seed. What do I mean by that? Everything starts small. Everything starts with a seed. You started as a seed. I'll not get into the details of that, but you were once a seed. Every tree we see was a seed. Every business was once a seed, just an idea. Every church was once a seed, just a thought of what God could do in a community. Everything we see started as a seed. But here's the thing. A seed is small, but what it produces is exponentially bigger. A seed is tiny, but the thing that grows is multiple times bigger than the seed. And you never know what one small change can do in your life. What one small adjustment, what one small uh, act of giving or generosity could release. What one small bit of obedience, what one small change, what one small decision, what one small bit of faithfulness could do. One small change could bring about a big change. I, I sometimes say this. Small keys open big doors. And some of you right now, you know the small changes that you need to make. And if you make them, big doors will open. But you just simply have to be willing and obedient to do those things. It starts with you. God won't do it for you. You need to make the move. That's the first TI. Take initiative. Do what only you can do. Stop waiting on God when God is waiting on you. The second TI personality trait is this. Trusting intervention. Trust intervention. Now, what I, that should really be is trust in God's intervention, but that's T-I-G-I, and it wasn't as catchy, but that's what I'm trying to say. Trust in God's intervention. Take initiative, trust intervention. You see, the farmer sows the seed, verse 26, and the farmer reaps the harvest, verse 29. But look at what Jesus says happens in the middle in verses 27 and 28. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Okay, so don't forget this is a story. This is a parable. Jesus is using an illustration to tell us what God's kingdom is like. 
what the Christian life is like, what, what things are like when God's in charge of a life or a community, okay? And the first thing he says is we've seen we have a part to play. We have to take the initiative. We obey, we serve, we give, we share, we study. We do what only we can do. But then there comes a point, once we have done our part, where God does what only he can do. You sow the seed, you reap the harvest at the end, you do that, that's a bit that's under your control, but then there's a middle bit. There's a middle bit, which is all about what God does behind the scenes. There's a part of it that you have no control over. You simply have to leave it to God. Look at verse 27 again with me. Night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. There comes a point when the seed is in the soil, when the seed is buried beneath the surface, that all the farmer can do is this. Trust that the seed and the soil are doing the work. Trust that something is happening. He can't see it. He doesn't know what's happening down there. But he has to trust that the seed and the soil are doing what only the seed and the soil can do. And here's the difficult bit about trusting. It takes time. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Look at verse 28. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Notice that the growth doesn't happen all at once. It happens in stages. It happens in steps. There's a process. You sow the seed. Then first of all, you get a little bit of growth. You get the stalk. You get the ear of corn. And then you get the fully grown grain of corn. So you've sown your seeds. But for a long time, nothing happens. You're just looking at dirt. Nothing changes. Nothing grows. You, you sow the seed and, and, and there's nothing to encourage you that the seed is doing anything. There's nothing that remotely resembles what you're hoping to see at the end. Yet there's something happening beneath the surface there's something happening that's invisible it's a slow process it's so small it's so insignificant it's imperceptible it's so slow it's so slow it's so slow it's happening in the dirt but there's something happening but this is where my type a personality gets me into trouble because i want to sow and harvest on the same day or at least in the same week I want instant results. I want to see the growth immediately. And if I don't see the growth immediately, I think there's something wrong with the seeds. I keep digging it up to check that I've put the seeds in, that the seeds are in the right place. I start to think if I just pour more seeds in, maybe I'll get the growth that I want. I'll think maybe there's something wrong with the soil. I'll take the seed out and put it in different soil. I'll plant different seeds. I'll constantly be wondering why I'm not seeing instant results. I'll try harder. I'll plant more. I'll try to force it. And none of that will work. Here's why. Some things just take time. Some things in life 
just take time. I can't control it. Sometimes I say this. In God's kingdom, there's no elevators or escalators. There's just stairs. There's just steps. In other words, there's no way to get up quickly. You just do one step at a time. There's no shortcuts. There's no fast track. It's just daily trust, daily obedience, daily faithfulness, daily, 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 in the small things doing what God wants you to do. Some things just take faith and time. But here's the promise, that if you plant the right seeds, if you do the right thing, it will produce the right harvest, even if nothing seems to be happening right now. There's something happening, but you can't rush it. You can't push it. You can't force it. You can't conjole it. You can't manipulate it. You can't speed it up. But it's happening. I just need to leave it. I just need to let go and trust. Maybe that's where you struggle too, in the letting go and trusting. You know, I was talking to somebody from our church here a few weeks ago and they were stressed about a family situation that they were having. And they said this to me. They said, Craig, I keep giving it over to God, but then I keep taking it back again. Maybe you can relate to that. You keep giving it over to God, your anxiety, your stress, your problem, whatever it is you're worried about. You give it over to God, but if something doesn't change immediately, you you go and you take it back and you hold on to it again. We like everything to happen quickly, don't we? Like how many of you enjoy queuing outside supermarkets at the minute? I hate it. Can I be honest? I can't stand it. I mean, queuing to go in and, uh, and get, you know, like cornflakes and milk and blue rolls. Seriously, like the indignity of it. Like, I don't enjoy queuing in supermarkets. I don't enjoy queuing at McDonald's or the drive through or, or, or Starbucks. I don't like waiting for lockdown restrictions to be lifted. I don't like waiting for other people to tell me when I can do things. I like to be in control. I like to be able to set my own schedule. I like to be able to make my own plans without having to rely on somebody else's timeline. We don't like waiting. You know, if I were to prophesy over your life, if I were to be prophesying over your life, there's going to be a sudden shift in your life. Everything is going to change. Everything is going to move in the next month. There's a shifting season. There's going to be great breakthrough. You would get really excited about that. But here's the thing. That's normally not the way God happens. That's not normally the way it works. Most change in life happens like this. It would be me prophesying this. In the next six months, not much is going to change in your life. In the next six months, you're just going to be faithful. In the next six months, you're just going to be obedient. In the next six months, you're not going to be doing much different than you're doing now. But slowly, imperceptibly, gradually, God is going to change your life. We don't like that as much. I mean, God can do things suddenly. God can accelerate things. God can propel things quickly. But generally in the kingdom, change happens in steps. Change happens in stages. Change happens slowly. It happens in process. And Jesus seems to be saying here, some things just take time. If you're pregnant and want to have a healthy baby, that can't happen in four months. If you're overweight and you want to lose two stone, that cannot happen on any diet or with any miracle pill in the next two weeks. 
If you're in debt, you cannot have somebody say some magic prayer and wave some hand over you and all your debts will be cancelled. That's not how it works. Some things just take time. You see, we get excited about the start. We like new beginnings. We like new starts. We like fresh beginnings, you know, New Year's resolutions, new jobs. And we like the end. We like reaping. We like harvesting. We like the results. But the middle bit is where we struggle. The middle bit is where we lose our way. The middle bit is where we tend to to lose focus a little bit and get discouraged. It's the middle bit when nothing seems to be happening. We love the highlights, don't we? That's what we put on Facebook and Instagram. We put on the highlights. We let everyone see our highlights. But most of life isn't highlights. Most of life is the middle. Most of life takes place in the middle when nothing much seems to be happening. Most of life takes place in the soil, in the dirt of everyday life, of obscurity, in the mundane, of the unseen, when nobody knows what you're doing. But here's the thing. If you're sowing the right seeds, if you're being faithful in the small things, if you're doing what you can do, then you can know this. God is at work in your life even when it doesn't look like he's working in your life. Even when God doesn't seem to be doing anything, even when you can't see him do anything, if you are being faithful and obedient, you can be absolutely sure that God is at work right now in your life. Something is growing Something is shifting. Something is changing. Something is transforming. He's moving things. He's moving people. He's moving situations. He's making a way where there is no way. God is at work in your life, even when you can't see it. It might seem slow, but he's there. You might not feel it. You might not understand it. Isn't that okay? Look at what verse 27 says. Jesus is talking about the farmer again. He says, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The farmer sows the seed and he has no idea what happens in the soil. All he knows is if he waits, something will grow. Maybe that's your problem. You want to know everything up front. You want, you're a planner, you're a bit of a control freak. You like to know exactly what's going to happen, how it's all going to pan out, exactly what's going to happen at every step along the way. You want all the facts, you want all the details, you want all the steps, all the plans. And then once you have all that, you'll obey God. You'll make the move. You'll let that thing go. You'll give, you'll serve, you'll commit. That's not how it works. That requires absolutely no faith whatsoever. Faith starts at the point where I say, I don't understand this. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know if this is going to make sense. But I'm going to do it anyway because I'm trusting and obeying God. And if I do that, I know he's working on my behalf. I'm going to do what only I can do. And I'm going to trust God to do what only he can do. But I don't need to understand it all up front. I don't need to know what's happening behind the scenes. I don't need every detail. I need to trust and obey. The seed is my responsibility. The harvest is his. My job is obedience. His job is the outcome. He won't do my job and I can't do God's job. So don't 
let what you don't know stop you from sowing. Don't let what you don't know stop you from starting. Don't let the unknown stop you from taking the step that God is calling you to take. I can't grow this church. I can't grow this church. I never could. You know what I'm called to do? I'm called to preach the word. I'm called to scatter the seed faithfully, week in, week out. I'm called to scatter the seed and clear the soil of anything that would hinder good growth. And then God does the rest. And that's all I've done. I've been ordained 14 years and that's all I've done for 14 years. Everywhere I've gone, I've simply preached the word and cleared the ground of any rocks and anything that would, would stop growth. And God has brought the growth. I can't convert anybody. I can't make anyone become a Christian. I can't. I can't force them. I can't manipulate them. I can't talk them into it. What I can do is share the gospel, try to love them, and pray for them. And the rest is up to the Holy Spirit. I can't make you want to give more, serve more, sacrifice more, be more devoted, be more committed. I just need to be faithful here in what God has given me in the church and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And you know what? That is such a relief for me. There's some things I just can't do and there's some things I just don't know. My best efforts can't achieve it and my best insight can't explain it. And do you know what that means? I can sleep. I can sleep well. I can put my head on the pillow at night and I can know that if I've done my best that day, if I've tried to be faithful and obedient, that God is at work behind the scenes. You know, there's a wee verse that says this in the Psalms, that he who watches over us, that's God, neither slumbers nor sleeps. In other words, I can sleep well because I know God's up all night working on my behalf. God is at working on your behalf right now. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean he's not doing it. And I can look back. I have been a Christian. This week is my anniversary. On the 1st of July, 1990, at Summer Madness Summer Camp, I gave my life to Jesus 30 years ago this week. And over 30 years, through good or bad, sometimes in better ways than others, I've simply tried to trust and obey. I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to be obedient. And I look back now and I can see so many things in my life that I go, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how I met that person. I don't know how that door opened. I don't know how that connection. I don't know how I ended up here. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't need to know. All I do know is this, that God has been at work behind the scenes every single step of the way. Has it all been easy? No. Have there been really difficult times? Yes. But God has been so faithful every minute of these 30 years I have been following him and if he's been faithful to me he will be faithful to you my job is simply to take the initiative to trust and obey and do what only I can do and then my job is to trust in God's intervention that he will do what only he can do let me finish with a story about a friend of mine called Emma Emma was part of the church that we led in Dublin for five years, but we didn't see much of her because she was a missionary in Calcutta in India. 
She had been out there for about 10 years working in the red light district, working with prostitutes and their kids, teaching them about Jesus. She would go to the police, she would go to the pimps, she would advocate on their behalf, she would stand up for them when they've been abused, she would stand up for those and represent those who've been trafficked. She was working in one of the worst areas in the whole city of Calcutta. She was working faithfully. She was uh, in her late 30s when I first met her. And she was just doing what God had called her to do. As she was getting close to 40, it wasn't an easy life. Especially since Emma's, one of Emma's greatest desires was to meet a godly husband, to get married, to have kids. But from the surface, that looked impossible. I mean, really, in the red light district in Calcutta, you weren't meeting the type of men who were going to make good godly husbands. But her job wasn't to figure that out. Her job, she realized, was simply to obey God and to be faithful to what he had called her to. And so for 10 years, she poured out her life there. She served faithfully. But three years into our time in Dublin, we decided to send a team out to Calcutta for two weeks to work with Emma. We had 10 people on the team. We booked 10 flights. We raised money. We did all of that. We took all the initiative. We'd planned everything. Emma prepared everything on her side. We had 10 people. And then at the last minute, about a month before we were due to go, one guy dropped out. We had 10 flights booked with nine people with a spare place. The morning I got up in church and announced that, there was a guy who'd come to our church for the first time that Sunday. His name was Kieran. Kieran heard the announcement and immediately he said, I would love to go. We interviewed him. We checked out his references. He was a trained nurse. People spoke really highly of him. So Kieran went out as part of that team to Calcutta. While he was out there, Kieran fell in love with Calcutta. But more than that, he fell in love with Emma. A year after that, I had the privilege of officiating their wedding and now they've got a wee boy called Jesse. If you were to say to Emma, how did you make that happen? She would go, I could never have made that happen. I could never have orchestrated that. I could never have forced or manipulated that. That was all God. And I can say the same. But what she would say is simply this. I was simply being faithful. I was simply being obedient in what God called me to do. And God did the rest. And maybe you're in that place right now where you know God is calling you to make a step, do something, release something, start something, and you've been reluctant because you don't have all the information up front, I want to say to you, your job is not to know everything, it's to be obedient. Be obedient. Do what God has called you to do. But maybe you're in that middle bit. Maybe you're in that waiting bit. Maybe you're in that place between the promise and seeing the fulfillment. You know God has spoken to you, but you aren't seeing anything happen. I want to say to you, there's something happening under the soil. There's something happening that you can't see. There's something happening. God is at work. Even when you can't see it, he's working. Even when you can't feel it, he's working. Even when you don't know it, he's working. He never stops working. And I want to speak to you today and simply say your job is simply to be faithful and obedient and trust that God will give you what you're longing for, what you're praying for, that God will make a way where there is no way. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that you would stir us afresh to do what you're calling us to do. That we would take initiative, that we would take steps, that we would be obedient and faithful in the small and the big things. But Lord, I also pray that we would see your hand moving 
and shifting those things which we cannot shift. Moving in those areas that, that we don't know what to do and we don't know how to do and we're not able to do. And Lord, I pray that we would start to see those little shoots come out of the soil. Where we have planted seed and not seen a harvest. Lord, I pray for little shoots of growth. Little shoots of green. Little shoots to start penetrating out of that soil. That we would have faith. The the God who began a good work in us. The God who is at work in us. will carry that on to completion. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.